0: What is going on? My name is Michael Hacker, and this is the Hacker Outdoors podcast. Today I'm joined by both Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick. We talk a little bit about the WSL revised tour schedule before jumping into the FLW Lake Murray event that Joey did fish a couple weekends ago. Joey goes through some of his prep for the big show and his tips and techniques for catching bass. I hope you enjoy this. We even jump in a little bit with some point break antics along the way. And without further ado, well, well, well. We'll we'll start here. This will be the introduction. Welcome to the latest edition of the Hacker Outdoors podcast. I am joined today with Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick. Um, without further ado we will jump into a few things including a request from a listener to go into some details regarding joey's lake murray fishing trip where we don't just talk about how cold it is we'll talk about the actual fish and you know tips and techniques that actually work down there um but before we do that uh, i figured brian you you had some news on uh the wsl
1: yeah yeah so the uh world surf league came out with uh the revised schedule finally in australia i don't care about this job but uh they're running four events in australia i guess with the oh, yeah. the covid restrictions they had to adapt schedule a little bit because they can't jump between the uh the different states um so they're running um i guess the first one's going to be let me just check the list yeah it is newcastle um the second one being Narrabean third being margaret river and fourth rotten nest which is the island off the west western coast of uh, australia
0: which awesome. super interesting
1: sure that one is extremely there's two extremely sharky events here being you know i i love uh i love margaret river event because you can run the box but it both spots are super sharky that time here so it'd be, be fun to watch um what was Rotten that once one rottenest Rotten. wow all right yeah that's how you that's how you pronounce it says that you always see like crystal clear blue water but guys in wetsuits and it's there's you know a handful of spots i think they're running at the, the real famous Right-hand point break that's there, um, but yeah, it's super sharky, like Joe said. Um, yeah. So well, last time they were
2: down south, they had to move the event to another spot due to sharks. Yeah,
1: they like moved it years ago. Yeah, they moved to south uh, to North Point from uh, Ooh, yeah, running when they were running at Margaret River.
2: <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, it was Margaret River. Yeah, yeah, to move.
1: So uh, I think it'd be fun to watch. You know, there's two two. Beach break events, which you know, if if they get good swell, be you know, seeing guys punt and do airs and stuff, and then you know, two big uh, west side of Australia events where uh, we're going to see some some big waves and you know, open open water swell and uh, some uh, some other hazards in the water. Some some other hazards. Yeah, men in gray suits. So men in uh, the gray
0: suits. Did you see that? Do it. I think I shared it with you, Brian Joe. Did you see it? The video of the shark attacking the um, the spear fisherman.
2: I, I did I saw the message I didn't look at it, it was oh
0: my god dude I'll post it on the story it was nuts it's I I love sharks I'm gonna start by saying that and I think you know I respect the heck out of them but you know they scare the ever living bejesus out of me man like I have no no interest in in doing that um yeah uh, Australia is yeah it's one of those places that is just nuts there was a video too um. It was some sort of duck or goose or something like that was sitting in the water. I don't know if I sent that to you, Brian. The saltwater crocodile, I think they can move up to like 23 miles an hour. It looked like it had a, like, literally a prop engine on the back of it moving across the water. I don't think I've ever seen anything move that quickly in the natural world on the surface of the water. Like, nah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh yeah screw that that's pretty cool though um yeah you know be, they're figuring things stuff out
1: it would be fun to watch you know pe- people need some entertainment and uh you know i, I know they they struggle with trying to figure out how to, the logistics of it how to get people there you know and uh yeah it looks like they worked it out um it's be weird not having bell's beach on the on the tour for the first time i think ever to be honest um but you know they, they got the restrictions and kind of is what it is and we're gonna see some new stuff which would be fun to watch
0: well, they're waiting for the 50-year storm, of course. Well, that's I mean. that, that's oh, for sure. Year.
2: That's this
1: year. Um, yeah.
0: Well, was actually, Washington on the phone with year?
2: Patrick Swayze, and
1: uh.
2: it's uh, <laughs> it's happening. They're on their
1: way. It, watch <laughs> that week. It usually runs. It, it's usually the week of uh, of uh, Easter. I bet I bet you there's a giant swell that weekend, and they're like they're gonna shake their heads and realize what they missed. Up.
2: Where am I going to go? Am I going to paddle to Fiji?
0: <laughs> Come <laughs> on, Utah. <laughs> You let him go. No, He's I didn't. He's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> what a great scene, He's not man. coming back. <laughs> Via con Dios. And um, yeah, so let's pivot from there now that we've had our point break, fill for the day. Um, MLF. I'm sorry. MF. When
1: you put it's, MFL it's... joke.
0: It's uh,
2: MLF, FLW. Yeah, they're big go. five. MLF, big FLW, big five. Big five. It is the go. Red Crest for the MLF, which is their championship. It actually started, I think, yesterday. Um, and they're making ready to cut. It goes on tomorrow. You got Brian Thrift in the lead. I mean, he's, he's a big guy. is up there. Kevin Van Dam's up there. And David Dudley. So they've been slaying them. It actually had to be moved due to weather um, to Lake Lef- Lake Follow. It was supposed to be closer down to Texas, but with the weather they had, it actually was in Texas, they moved it last minute, which was kind of interesting. These guys were all prepared. Literally, I think they made the announcement on Friday, maybe of last week, or maybe even Monday that it was being moved. No, it was Friday when everybody's getting ready to travel. They announced that it was being moved to Eufaula, which definitely threw a huge curveball in there. And, uh, you know, they're catching some big fish. Um, the largest so far has been seven pounds. I believe, yeah, seven's the big fish of the tournament so far and they're, they're breaking down the, the top 20 tomorrow. So it should be
1: good. And there's a lot of big names in there, a lot of big names in that top 20. So see how that goes. Is that, yeah. is that a lake they normally fish at some point or is this just mm-hmm. a new, completely new water? Euf- Eufaula is, is um, a very well-known bass lake that
2: tours stop there all the time, pretty much yearly, whether it's MLF, FLW or the lead series. So it, it, they, they know that lake. They do know that lake. But uh telling you, Optifo is probably going to win it. That That's my pick, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm. The, the, the MLF schedules, the way they do it, it's different. So tomorrow, once they get to the top 20, all their weights reset. So everybody's at zero. So it's really anybody's game if you make it to those last days. I'm not a big fan of the format. Every fish counts kind of deal, but it's still
1: fun to watch. Yeah. Definitely. What, uh, so if, if you were on new water like that, let's say, you know, on the fly, they change it on you. What would your, you know, I, I know today we're going to get in a discussion about a lot of the stuff, but I, I was thinking about it after our discussion last week, Mike, how when, when you're fly fishing for trout, it's kind of your, your feeler, what I call a feeler fly. When you're trying to fish new water for the first time, see what, what fish are biting, we use a woolly bugger, And we were talking about what rods, you know, we would use with what setups, you know, in new water. And for for bass, my, my question to you is is what would what do you think the guys first time they do you know the, they go find their spots what would they cast out to kind of just fill out the water first th- first day? I think with FL
2: MLF you only get like a day and a half of practice. They would have moving yeah. baits. They would have moving baits on just trying to cover as much water as they can, trying to find where the fish are at and then adjust from there. Um, this time of year down there, you know, they're just about to be on beds. It's cold, so normal year they'd be, they'd be about spawning down there in Alabama. I mean, they're really, really close. So it's pre spawn. The fish are eating a ton of bait and there's probably going to be some on beds. So, you know, they're going to be throwing white chartreuses, moving baits, you know, crawl colors will come into play this time of year. Well, uh, that's, that's what they do. A lot of times when you practice for events. They just want to cover water and find where the fish are. So they'll be throwing a crank bait or, Spinnerbait, chatterbait, Alabama rig—something to cover a lot of water to pinpoint where the fish are feeding, or where they're at, or what stage they're at. And and then once you kind of dial into that, you'll make adjustments.
1: Hmm.
2: So that's it. So usually, once you find the fish and you figure out what stage they're in, you know they, they can dial in from there, and it's usually back to match the hatch. But if they're on beds, when fish are on beds, they'll eat anything you throw in front of the bed. They attack it. So. You know, a lot of times what they'll do if they're fishing beds, they'll find the beds, they'll power pole down and, and they'll flip creature baits or they'll flip worms, sinkos, drop shots and and, and go from there. But moving I baits think, to cover water.
0: I think hmm. that's a, a good entry point, Brian, um, that you brought us to for for Joe to talk about Lake Murray a little bit more, right? Um, you know, we kind of talked about the temperature. We talked a little bit the, you know, notes from the field about what it was you were planning on doing Um, now in a perfect world you would have been down there the day before you know the day and a half before to practice Um, you would have followed the same kind of prescription so to speak where you would just be trying to find them um, and get any kind of hits you want and then just marking them on your gps and coming back the day of the tournament if you were the boater of course
2: yeah, pretty much. I mean, so with the FLW, you, you can practice five days before the event. Um, and actually the week before that practice week, it's shut down to competitors, but anytime before that week, you can fish, you can pre-fish. So you only have one week where you can't and the week before is practice. Um, you know, that same type of deal. I mean, that time of year down there, you know, fish are going to be getting ready to come up on beds. Um, I actually talked to Brennan today, and it was 75 degrees, and where he was fishing, you know, the fish are just about there, especially with the full moon and the new moon coming. They're, wow. they're just about to go on beds. Um, so when we were down Lake Murray, I'm not going to give up the juice. I'm not going to give up Brennan's juice and my juice because – No, of course, of course not. Yeah. No juice is being given up. But with that temperature switch, before it came down, the water temperatures were hovering just below 60, I was told some spots in the river were up to like 62 they said you know they did have warm weather and that drop in the temperature was severe and it lowered the water temperatures anywhere from 54 to i think the lowest i saw was 50 49 but the fish the bass were still schooling on shad and just chasing the bait fish in the creeks or on the points and, and just just gorging themselves on on shad like like i said their lips they say like they had lipstick on their lips look like they had bright red lipstick like on their top lip you can see in some of the pictures and that is just simply from them getting ready to spawn and just eating so much i mean
0: can i ask you a question on that Joe? yeah so when when you say that they're feasting up on these shad that are in these like little creeks and tributaries leading into the, the well
2: they're lake. chasing them so what they'll do the bass will sit off the points in a little deeper water like you know it, it's, and are you
0: watching this though it, like
2: oh yeah in the morning i mean throughout the day there was different blitzes you would see where you would see just balls of bait just breaking the water and bass just just crushing them i mean there was one point on the boat it's probably like one o'clock i mean literally on the side of the boat a bass came up and his mouth was like this and just went and just ate this bait fish like holy shit like, awesome it, it was bizarre. But the, what they'll do before they spawn, they're, they're eating to they get ready to go make sweet, beautiful love with the females. So they're getting, you know, hearty. They, they literally, they'll, they'll ambush, you know, they'll, they'll sit in the deeps and ambush and push all the bait. You know, they will try to push all the bait into an area and just gorge. Huh. So a, a lot of guys down there this time of year, because people want to know, we'll throw like shad wraps, um, the Rapala bait. Um, pretty much know any crankbait that mimics the fish down there or moving bait you know the bait fish like white silver chartreuse you you can't really go wrong um the the key was finding the bass and finding where they were gorging themselves on
0: so when when you're going into this as a co-angler right and you're remind me again the um the boater you were with in her Anastasia. Anastasia. anastasia yeah so anastasia has a game plan you're along for the ride right as a co-angler she has done her due diligence as far as you know having been there and she's from the area she knows exactly kind of where she wants to begin right um has she been tracking their movements i guess from being in the area and fishing the pre pre pre-game or the pre-event well When
2: you grow up in an area or you are from a certain area, you you know, you can pretty much pinpoint when the bass are going to be at that certain stages in in their cycles. You know, weather can throw a curveball and cause them to spawn late, it causes them to spawn early, but it's usually always falls in that same type of window. Like March 27th is Santee Cooper, and I I can tell you they're going to be spawning. They're going to be fish who have already spawned and then other fish who are spawning at that period and probably some who might still be pre-spawn okay it kind of goes by water temperature if you go online you know it'll tell you like a certain temperature range where that's where they'll start spawning it's Hmm. not always dead on but it's it's pretty pretty close
0: so are you would you say that you know I like to think of myself as a leisure leisure fisherman, right, Brian? I think you would agree, right? Like we, we just go out when we're free and we, we fish. But for someone going into a competition, are you taking a more scientific approach to understanding the life cycle of the bass, the breeding habits of the bass, the feeding habits, the, you know, you're talking about moon cycles, you're talking about, you know, barometric readings, you're talking about all these things. Is that something that you're taking into account going into a tournament?
2: Well, if you're good and you know what you're doing, you definitely should know that stuff because um, it definitely helps big time to know where these fish are going to be at, you know, what their forage is, because not every lake or river system has the same forage that another one will have. It could be completely different. You, know, you go up to upstate New York now, there's gobies. You know, Gobies don't exist down south. Yeah. So down south, they have you know heron, a lot of heron lakes. You don't have those here. So it's always good to know. You know, if you want to fish competitively, you, you do need to know that stuff, and you do. Even as a co angler, you should be studying the lake beforehand and figuring that out, because it definitely leads to success. And and help moving on.
0: And I'll I'll interject if I can. There, I think um, in talking with you when you came up and we we fished a, a bit, right? We fished. Uh, what was it? Two bodies of water. Uh, from the canoe, you made me look at things a little bit differently than just a normal leisure fisherman. Now, I think, you know, any fisherman or outdoorsman or outdoors woman or fisherwoman has a more acute sense of the world around them, right? Like we, I notice, uh, you know, insect hatches, I'm noticing a little glistening of, of movement under the water, um, you know, noticing just the things that most people wouldn't like, the way that a tree is laying over a, over a section of the water, or, you know, rhododendron bushes along, you know, a bank of a river, for example. I, like, these things all stand out to me, and I, you know, make a mental note, okay, that's where I want to try, or, you know, that's something's going on here, I need to now switch up. Um, and you really helped me understand a little bit more the scientific aspect of bass. And even at my home lake here, right, like, it, it was just my dynamic like I had been fishing there for months and you know you took me out there and you pointed out things that I you know even with all the observational skills I had that I I didn't catch on to um, but when you're taking it to the level that you are you're going to Lake Murray you're going to these other, other competitions and you're a co-angler it's got to be sometimes frustrating to be a co-angler to a certain extent but it's also interesting right because you're learning from the boater who's probably from that area like you were in this i mean from what i've seen and from what you've told me about anastasia she was a fantastic angler and she knew what she was doing um but you may not always be able to go where it is you wanted to go on the on the lake or river or whatever so Um, if you had the
2: reputation of a good co there is guys you know especially if you're fishing bodies of water that the co is real familiar with, who you know will ask you for spots or ask your opinion. And, you know, especially if they're new to the area, you can do that. I mean, I've done it before, you know, on, on um, competitions, the Potomac, the Potomac can be a really tough body of water. If you don't know it and it's title, a lot of guys, you know, don't fish title. Um, I had a tournament. I fished with a guy from North Carolina and, he wasn't a big title guy and we fished all my spots and I think he ended up in fourth and I ended up in that's like 16th so oh wow you you do get that opportunity um sometimes but not often not often um but sometimes the builders learn from you because you could be throwing something they've never thrown before and you can wreck them and you know? Well, I
0: think that's that's kind of what it was. I was talking about, right? So, for like the home lake, for example, we were doing. Uh, I won't give up my juice, but you he swapped me up to some some form of artificial that I've never used before, and showed me a technique that I would have never used before. And it's it's always interesting to to fish with different people and and get that. Now, I, you know, I'm a a big fly fisherman, and I, I moved almost to 100% fly any type of fishing I've done and been pretty successful bass fishing with it because uh, it's just so much fun catching a bass on a fly rod. But I still love my spinning rod. And, you know, it, it was cool, you know, even bringing Donna out and using it and understanding now different techniques is, is huge that I would have never used before. Um, but I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that because I think the next stage is, so you, you're down in Lake Murray Obviously, you you're showing up day one. You know you're in the middle of this cold spell down there. You're basically everything that you had prepared to do because you've now done your research. You've now you know what the weather is going to be like. You know what's going on as far as the bass bass life cycle is. That you, you pretty stay true to that. And you said that last podcast that you stay true to what your plan was, and it pretty much worked. So, so I,
2: I, th- I think from the field from notes, I was saying crankbaits would play, chatterbaits, finesse, you know, different types of finesse, whether it be a cinco, Ned Rig, you know, so on, so on would play, um, and, and that spinnerbaits, Alabama Rig, and, and, and that was the case. Uh, I wasn't, you know, the weather can affect the fish, but I was more worried about what the weather, the water temperature was, and, and that's how I kind of keyed into it they would be doing or not doing and and what i would throw based on that you know because if the water went really really cold it would be a whole nother game but it's it stayed warmer even though with the cold air and and the fish stayed in that cycle where they were at and, and didn't affect them much so you know and if you can go back you know there's some videos um there's a couple guys who down there i think is sob fishing I mean, he's a lake murray guy and he's really big youtuber he fishes the tournaments and he filmed the event from his end and he was throwing you know cranks um alabama rig mo- moving baits i mean he he caught a limit uh that that's the big thing just kind of knowing where you're at what these fish eat what they're going to be doing certain times a year you know sometimes it doesn't work out but a lot of times it, it will get you on the right pattern
0: now, not not to labor the point, but when you, I think you know maybe Brian would agree with me here. You know, someone who's not done a tournament before, and for some of the people who've not, you know, when you're when you're getting to spot one, what does that look like? What are you experiencing? What are you like? How do you in your mind? What are you saying? Do you go even before we're, actually arriving at spot one are you like i'm gonna use this rod that's already set up with the crankbait or with the net rig or whatever it is you're throwing or are you basically like i'm gonna see what happens when we get there because i don't really know where we're going well,
2: let's see i had i didn't bring all my rods actually in murray because i was how confident i was when i was gonna throw i think i only brought six um there is times like in certain bodies of waters where you might want to be pounding the shore, fishing, you know, zero to six feet, and you're all rigged for that, but your boater wants to fish 20 to 30 feet, and then that's when you got to kind of change on the water. Um, Where we fished was kind of what I was thinking we were going to fish, and so I knew when we put up in the first spot, and I I saw where she put us on, you know, I went to my first choice, which was a finesse presentation. Um, We were fishing docks, creeks with docks, docks that's at a little deeper water. Uh, anywhere from four to 10 feet. So everything I had tied on and, and, and wanted to throw, throw was, was set for that, you know, fishing anywhere from 14 feet to four feet. And just so happened, she was on the same type of pattern that I was and you know, picked up what I wanted to throw. And, and pretty much through that most of the day. And I threw a crankbait too some, it was between a finesse presentation and a crank for the day. And that was really it. I threw the chatterbait a little bit too, but, um, believe it or not, the water was extremely clear for all that rain they were having that, that was surprising to me. I think that the visibility was close to nine feet, six, eight foot range you could see down. So that kind of limits you too. when the water's clear like that, you don't want to throw something that is, um, You you want to throw realistic-looking baits, you know, because the water's clear, the fish are going to get a better look. Um, A little bit more stained is where you can get away with some of the baits that aren't as realistic-looking. And and we just, you know, Brennan and I have prepared heavily for this year. I prepared real heavily for the northeast last year. I'm I'm fishing the northeast again this year, and I'm preparing for that. But South Carolina, you know, him and I have really – our time into that division and planning like we've been on the phone every day for the what I've been home for two weeks from that going on two weeks every day we we talk talk about the next event and and you know what we plan on throwing or what we should have or we discuss. like today I was on the phone with him for an hour we were discussing you know where we think these fish are going to be come the 27th um if they're going to be on beds or what you know so that that's the kind of preparation I put into it and he puts into it. And I know other co's who who do the same. And the ones who do that are, are the ones who are successful. And then when they go up to Boater, you know, they, they carry that over. I'll I'll go as far as you know, Santee Cooper, I'll go look at tournament results from last year till eight years earlier just to study, you know and that paid off for me at the Potomac last year um I looked at the tournament that was there seven years earlier and some people believe fish work like in five six year patterns well what they were throwing seven years ago at that time in a pro tournament there is what won it for the Toyota series most people wouldn't do that but it's good to know that you know
1: yeah, definitely so this morning of- I uh Go ahead, Joe. No, go ahead, Pete. I was gonna say, uh, this morning I was cracking up. I uh, I came down here to uh, in my basement. I was doing some work, and I found my uh, my ultralight rod. It reminded me of a quick story that, that mm-hmm. involves you. Uh, well, last time we fished together, we had some family outing at at a local lake, and uh, you know where our, my nephews and brother-in-law fish all the time. And we were all fishing from the docks. I don't know if you remember this. And uh, we we're just were fishing the docks, and it was late summer late afternoon and no one was catching anything and there was other people fishing too but still nobody was catching anything other than our family and uh you you came over like, guy let me get a few casts." so you take you take my rod same same lure and funny enough that lure that i'm using i'm not giving the sauce here but i can tell everyone we were using top water uh you're the one who put me on those originally when we were kids and we were on the allegheny river i'm not giving away spots again but in the allegheny river and that's when you turned me on to using that specific uh specific lure but um you just the, all you changed was pattern and speed, and you caught that fish was how, big. That, that it was my it leg was wasn't well, broken.
2: I didn't look so stupid. I was share the picture. That was that was over yes. a three pound fish.
1: I was gonna say it was it was, it was under well five, over. but over three easily.
2: It was it was every bit of probably a four.
1: Yep. And then you well, had I don't remember that after you threw him back. You had at least two chases after.
2: Yeah, and a lot of times. Two, with topwater or any other baits, even crankbaits, you know, I could tell you I could be fishing the river or pond next to your house and say I caught them in a crankbait. You could go out there and you could throw that exact crankbait and not catch them because my cadence mm-hmm. could be completely different in how I work yeah. it. And you got it. That's another part of it, too. You, you got to figure that cadence. Like, yeah. I will I mean, get this up down there. With the crankbait by El Murray, they didn't want you just straight wind and they were hitting it. You'd wind, wind, you'd give it a pause. And they would hit on that pause,
1: hmm.
0: which. now. So when you're doing that, though, like, are you. You obviously don't know that going into the tournament, right? So you're you're trying whatever it is you can while you're tossing that bait along and we'll say the crankbait because that's what you're just talking about. You're trying different cadences. How long are you going? Like, do you break it down? And I think it's like the little you know, ADHD thing in me that says like, okay, well, it's gotta be 10, right? Or like 10, 15, you know, you know reel-ins before I change it up. Um, or is it just kinda, you're just doing it for a handful. If you don't get a bite, you're gonna change up the cadence, gonna change up the depth or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah
2: pretty much that a lot of times with the crankbait what i'll do is i'll do my pauses after it deflects off something so like i'm fishing wood and like i when you're fishing a crankbait and you're fishing the right depth you can feel it just digging the bottom or deflecting and when it hard to flex sometimes i'll just pause and then just reel and, and they'll bite it right there same you know with with the chatterbait there's people who just straight burn a chatterbait and they're like oh, i can't catch them on a chatterbait well there are certain cadences or you, you know, you got to break it up, you know, like there's times when you're throwing a paddle tail swim bait on a weighted hook, you know, and sometimes you can burn it and they'll eat it, but sometimes you, you mean, you got to fish it so slow and and kill it and just let, and, and they'll eat it. It's just all about kind of time on the water and experience kind of really helps with that, but also just playing with it. Like, you know, if you're throwing something for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 minutes or 20 minutes, you're not getting a bite. And you think you have the right thing will will change your cadence a little bit, you know, like top water. You know, sometimes they want you burning a popper, for example. he want you just pop 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 and burn it. Sometimes they want you just like pop, sit to the rings go, pop, let it sit to the rings go. Mm-hmm.
1: It all depends. It really all depends on the day.
0: It's it's like we are the
1: popper. <laughs> yeah, we, I I experienced this with you too down in Florida. I remember we we're uh, we were fishing for for uh largemouths and uh I was it was a soft plastic we're using I won't tell everybody which one it was but uh I was catching fish and you weren't at first and you're like what do you you walked over me at one point you're like what are you doing different and I, I told you what I was doing and once again it was changing you know the cadence of, of the retrieve and uh you made the change and then you caught well, well actually we should post a picture as a picture on this one. You caught a monster. I think, and I, think it, I do have that on there. Yeah that was yeah, unbelievable. And, uh, you literally all you did was you you changed and that, that was it i told you exactly what i was doing you made the change and boom you you caught the the biggest fish of the day which is over five pounds and uh beautiful fish yeah it's, it's
2: yeah, that's worth good noting point. for sure e- even with finesse because i'll throw the drop shot even with the finesse i mean sometimes that they want it like dead slack sometimes mm-hmm. they want it you know moving a little bit it, it just really all depends on you just got to kind of figure it out. Time in the water is, you know, if you really want to improve at fishing, it, it time in the water. Like Michael was saying, it trains your eye. You'll start seeing things you you would not have noticed if you're only out there every so often. And those things can really key you in to what you should be throwing or what you should change.
0: That's got to like be something else, right, Joe? Like when you're you're fishing different bodies of water in a tournament. Like you, you don't have every body of water is so different. They're similar in the sense that it's water and there's like an ecosystem that you're dealing with, right? And you're going after the same species, but it's so different because there's so many other variables that come into play. So how like to me that's that's my that's gotta be mind-numbingly difficult. Like I can't tell you how many times the lake you and I went to, the first lake you and I went to, like that was I was probably the 12th, 13th. Maybe 15th time I'd been there and it just getting destroyed, like having a hard time fishing that water. Now I had success fishing the shore there, but never on my boat. Like it it just – you know, it takes time on a body of water to do it. And being in a tournament circuit, you don't really have that time where you can spend and say, okay, this is going to be my local water for the season where I'm going to figure it out and finally, you know, catch the species that I'm targeting. And for me, it's a little bit different because I'm, I was targeting different things um, other than bass, but, you know, it's still got to be hard.
2: Well, that's you. where that, that studying comes into place and in, in being a well-rounded fisher person, you know. There's some guys who just will say they're power fishermen and they'll only throw bait A, B, C. And there's some guys who say I'm only finesse and they'll only throw finesse. That's yeah. where you know if you want to be successful, you have to be well-rounded and, and versed and and willing to change um, to succeed. You no know, tidal water. A lot of people have a hard time fishing tidal water, and that that was tough learning. That that can make you rethink your fishing career because you know low tide the bite is it will turn like the tide will start dropping and you might have an hour where you just slam them and then it just it's done and it takes a while to learn how to catch those fish in, in the different tide cycles whether it be high tide dead slack or low and it, it that that takes a while and you'll see you know a lot of these guys who fish a lot of lake systems or rivers that are non-tidal just have miserable miserable time on tidal water and, and despise it just be like i'm done the guy fish went to potomac who who got a fourth i took him to my spots i mean i got in the boat with him he's like i hate this place i've been here for a week i want to go home we've caught nothing but one or two and then you know he goes out with me i put him on the spots and you know, there you go it. but that was a lot i, I put a lot of time into the, the tidal water around here it's and there's still days i can go out there and just want to bang my head into the wall afterwards that that's that's where it's tough wait till you get untitled you're muted mike
0: yeah there we go i was gonna say it's it it's like fishing the ocean right and and figuring that out as well right like you're talking about a tidal body of water it's until you're there and you actually put the time on the water and figure it out yourself i mean you can catch fish any tide but you know you still have to figure it out like you're not gonna just show up and do it like it's completely different than fishing the rivers and the lakes by us up here these well, are non-tidal I've, I've, bodies
2: i've also fit the guys fished with people who think you know we're not going to catch anything the guy is so ingrained in their head that we're only going to catch them during low tide that they pretty much throw that all other period away and if if you believe that and, and you go by that you know you're putting yourself only in a one hour window maybe where you the fish will really just come alive and come eating and then you're just really you're screwing yourself for the tournament, you know? You need to be able to go out there and fish all those tides and, and figure out how to catch them at those other tides. And that's how you're going to win or that's how you're going to get top 30s, top 20s, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, I think that was a great insight. I I really appreciate you give us a little bit more feedback on that, Joe. Um, you know, I know I, I've picked your brains a bit about it over the past couple of years, right? And I think I've become a better bass fisherman from learning from you and talking with you. And um, you surround yourself by people, with people that are better than you at things. And, you know, you kind of tend to level up and that's in everything in your life, right? Um, so I, I appreciate everything that you do. And um, I got nothing, Brian, how about you?
1: I mm, got nothing else either.
0: That was a solid yeah. one. Yeah, agreed, like I said, agreed. The, the best
2: advice I can give is, I mean, if you want to enter this realm, I mean, you, like anything else, you got to perfect it. I mean, you got to – there is a bit of studying and, and time on the water. I mean, and with the internet and YouTube nowadays, I mean, you you, know, you can't learn everything, but there's definitely channels out there who can help you and, and kind of get you in that direction. You know, Brennan said he read some – because he's been reading a lot about fish biology, and he said he read somewhere that's like 90% of fishermen don't catch them well. It's the 10%, you know, that catch them incredibly because they, they put the time and the work in. And I'm telling you, I, I've seen it through and through. And it's the truth. Like, I know everybody doesn't have all the time in the world, but, you know, if you, you want to get better at fishing, you should try to get out when you can and, and just, it will it will eventually click.
0: And yeah, read up on entomology. Yeah, entomology. <laughs> That's you important.
2: You need to start scuba diving and look at structure underwater
0: well structure. like when we fish when we fish rivers, like you're lifting rocks and looking to see oh, yeah, scurrying sure. out from under yeah. them. I mean
2: that's you need to know what they for for you know, if you're targeting bass and you're fishing Lake Ufala, you need to know what what bait fish are in that body of water that those bass are you know, they're eating. Because if you go down there and you think they're eating, I don't know, let's just pick any Blue black herring, let's say, all
0: right.
2: right, and you're throwing blue black herring colors, but there's no blue black herring in there. I'm sure you'll get some to bite it, but not as good as you know if they're eating shad. You knew that they were eating gizzard shad, and you were throwing gizzard shad colors. So it, it's really key to, to learn that, and it's easy. You know, nowadays with Google, you can just find into Lake Lake Ufala bake, uh, you know, Lake Ufala bass forage, and ding ding, you know, it's all there.
0: Was it the shad?
2: Was it the shad <laughs> and Murray?
0: <laughs> no, that was a that was a joke. That was a movie reference, Brian. got. Oh. what movie uh, was it? I, I honestly don't remember. What was it? Was it uh Charlie's it was Angels? Tom Green. Yeah, Charlie's Angels. It was Tom uh, Green and Charlie's Angels. Was it the Chad? He says Chad, but we always say shad. And every time we finish, yeah. it's like, was it the shad? Yeah, stu- stupid, uh, movie humor.
2: Freddy Got Fingered is one of the greatest movies of all time. Oh my God, was Green. cool.
1: He got arrested that did, film in
2: that.
1: did he really? Did he? In in Bloomfield.
2: That was movie? the one, really?
1: I think I think it was that one. Was
2: it, was it the really? There's one where his mom runs off with Shaquille O'Neal's pretty cut fingers.
0: No, he got no. Wasn't it the one with uh, Drew Barrymore? Never been. Yeah, that, something, something with like
1: something with Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I. But I remember because they yeah. were filming that at the uh, <laughs> yeah I where we it, grew up. I think it was at the green across from the high school.
0: Yeah, I remember that. That's right. Yeah. Holy cow, that's a flashback. He, you know Bloomfield. he's he's uh one of the earliest pioneers of podcasting tom green yeah. he's the og so he's an OG
2: for sure he's canadian too i mean can't go wrong
0: there uh, i guess not well i think that's about all we got today everyone uh we appreciate you listening joe thank you for your tales from beyond the no dirty dirty
2: i'll have some appreciate. more come march 13th and the march 27th so
1: i like it
0: coming up and we're going to have uh, notes from the field coming up for me, too. Uh, we'll leave that as a teaser. And, uh, you know, hopefully some more YouTube videos coming up. Brian found his GoPro, which is awesome. I don't know how old it is, but maybe we'll at
1: least get, like, 240. I, I, no, it's, it's a full it's a HD. It doesn't shoot. Uh, I don't think it's 4K, but I think it's 1080. Probably. 1080.
2: Yeah, they've, been t- they've been 1080 for a while. Now. Yeah. I will have one in the next two weeks. So, Oh, epic.
0: Yeah, cool. We will
2: have video from Potomac and from
1: Santee.
0: So I like it. Let's do it. Well, everyone, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk next week. Awesome. All right, later, guys. All right. So that was the Hacker Outdoors podcast with Michael Hacker, Brian Hacker, and of course Joey McCormick. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating on whatever platform you are listening to or watching this on. Please check the show notes for some links about the topics we discussed today. And as always, we thank you for listening.